fine, let me tell you. It's great to be here. We're glad, though, this morning to have with us our missionary and our friend, Doug Montague and his dear wife, Ruth. And uh, they've been serving the Lord for many a year, and we're glad to have them today. So, Doug, would you come and share with us the word of God as he's laid it on your heart? Hallelujah. Very good to be back with you again. We may be on the cusp of some uh, positive developments. If you've uh, known some of the things we're coping with, uh, have any of you ever had to try to do something with uh, the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles? And would you say trying to cope with one government is plenty on your plate? Ruth and I are trying to deal with three governments right now, and uh, one of them is going to call us on the phone this Friday morning for an interview, and uh, depending on how happy they are with the interview on the phone with both of us uh, will then uh, result, we trust, in her getting a new passport from the China Embassy in Washington, D.C., That's kind of important, okay, considering her passport, the current one, the one she sent in, is due to expire on Christmas Day this year. And so you can't go back overseas expecting that next government to put a new visa in an old passport. They won't do that. So you have to show up. I now have my new passport, so that's a big hallelujah, amen. Uh, and I was told it might take three months and to set, send my stuff in immediately, which I did at the end of July. And would you believe one month later, my passport came out of Philadelphia. I was stunned. One month instead of three. So that's a big blessing. And then we are also anticipating, we hope it will happen, dearly hope it will happen this month, an interview, a different interview that has to do with Ruth's application for a green card. And that's maybe the last step, and when that is accomplished, then we can actually deal with the airlines about getting back overseas, and we hope that will be, happen in November. So this is October, you know, it's, it's getting close, and so we still very much appreciate brothers and sisters lifting us up about these things. We need more answers from heaven, more help. And, uh, you know, governments are too big for me to handle, but they're not too big for our Lord to handle. Amen? Okay. Okay. Uh, Today, you may see in the bulletin about the title. I'm not too big on titles, but some churches like to have a title, so I threw one in there. Okay. The path to more victory. And it may come from a passage of scripture you may find rather unusual. But if you have your Bible, turn with me in Deuteronomy... That's the fifth book of the Bible, the last of the five books that are attributed to Moses having put them down on paper originally. Deuteronomy chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 12 through 15. And this is a passage that is teaching about the Ten Commandments. Well, he already did that earlier in his life in Exodus chapter 20. Now this is at the end of his life, right before he's going to turn things over to Joshua, climb the mountain, see the promised land, and then he will go meet face to face with the Lord and leave his earthly body behind. So here's one of the 
one of those ten commandments. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner, that means your visitor, who stays with you so that your male servant and female servant may rest as well as you. Verse 15. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Lord, we want to lean on you to be present here to teach us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Okay. Now, Deuteronomy. Do you happen to know? That's a funny sounding word, you know. I grew up in church and I'd heard of it, you know, and I'm like, I wonder what that means, you know. Well, it turns out it does have a meaning. I didn't know it for a long time. Well, it's in two parts. Uh, Deutero is, I guess, in the Hebrew language, how they would say second, as in first, second, third, okay? So second time for something. And then the nomi, what's that? Well, that is a word referring to law. So second time for Moses to teach the law of God, all right? Now, if you ever go back and read in Exodus 20, where the first time God was teaching Moses and it was being put down on stone tablets and he came down from the top of the mountain and he taught these to the people, you'll read what seems like almost word for word this particular commandment, the fourth one, about honoring the Sabbath day. Basically, the first time he taught this, Moses is teaching him, it's a day of like nothing, like shift to neutral gear. No work, no big activities, it's like rest, I think implied there is also like a day for, you know, for the Lord. You know, it's like worship, a day, you know, you're not breaking a sweat in here this morning, are you? Okay, no, you're not, I mean, I don't think we need, of course, you know, some places I go in the tropics, you know, yeah, we do a lot of what we call sweating in the spirit, okay, but I mean... You know, I mean, this is comfortable, and, you know, we've stood up a few times, we sit down. The other times, you know, it's like, you know, this is also a part of this rest overall. God wants it to be a day of rest so that when you calm yourself down and you're not physically so active, your mind and your heart can turn to Him, and you can worship Him and enjoy Him, okay? Not the seven-day-a-week thing that the worldly folks tend to do, okay? Well... You see, Moses, you know, all these other heroes in the Bible, they, the scripture says they have feet of clay like you and I. In other words, there's things we should identify with them, all right? Think about if you were in Moses, I started to say shoes, I guess we should say sandals, okay? If you were in his sandals, 40 years earlier, when he was a younger man, God had done these big miracles, 10 of them, plus two more, 10 to finally get Pharaoh to say, okay, okay, you can go. So he and the Hebrews pack up and leave very quickly. 
And then the other two miracles God adds to make sure that this liberation is not temporary, okay? That it's truly political liberation from physical slavery, all right? Is he leads them to what looks like a terrible place, the edge of the sea. And then here comes Pharaoh with the chariots. That, that looks kind of dumb. Like, why did God do that? God will do that. He'll lead us in places where at the time you think, why, Lord, did you put me in this position? Okay? But guess what? God always has an answer. He's not doing anything dumb. It just may look dumb at the moment. Hello, you hear what I'm saying? All right. And he does what? He opens the Red Sea. And recent times, I can't remember, somewhere in the 80s or 90s, there's a Christian archaeologist, he, t- he took the Bible literally. He believed that if the Bible reports something, he thinks it really happened. So even though he is an archaeologist by training, he believed that there ought to be evidence on the bottom of the Red Sea somewhere about this crossing. And he found the one place that the British had done soundings of the ocean floor before they built the Suez Canal. And there's only one area, only one, where the ocean floor is a very gentle slope from here, dry land like this, down to the bottom, and then back up a gentle slope again. It's like one long ramp here and one long ramp there. Everywhere else in the world, that's not normal. You have a shower. Anybody ever gone to Galveston? I have memories of family vacations in Galveston. You could go in the water like half a mile away from the shore, and you're still only up to your waist in the water, right? It's a very shallow angle, goes out long ways, you know. But at some point, if you went too far, guess what it's going to (laughs) do? This, you see. And you know what? People following Moses, they would have needed ladders and ropes and mountain climbing gear to get down such a steep thing and then to get back up the other side, except in one place. And that archaeologist hired professional divers to go down in that one area and start examining the seafloor. And guess what they came up with? Egyptian chariot wheels. How about that? He really did find the place where they made that crossing. So God opened up the water at the perfect place. They walked through. They could go down easy, walk back up easy, didn't need equipment, didn't need ladders. And then when they got to the other side, here comes the Egyptians. And what did God do? Miracle number 12, close the water over them. Amen? All right. Now, it wasn't long after that that Moses led the people to Mount Sinai. And he went up there and God gave him the Ten Commandments, gave him a lot of other instructions and guidelines for the people and everything like that and for the tabernacle to be built. Moses had the better part of 40 years to ask a question. A question that probably bugged him for a long time. Why? Why did we have such failure when you, Lord, wanted to give us victory to go into the promised land? Why this delay? Why couldn't we succeed the first time? And I'll tell you what. By comparing this passage I just read with God speaking this to him the first time, 40 years earlier, what you'll notice is verse 15, right now, at this point that I just read, is the only place you find it. In other words, God didn't say this to him 40 years earlier. What I'm saying is this. God gave him guidance about the Sabbath with don'ts. 
You ever notice that you need more than don'ts? You also need do's. You understand? With don'ts, you're like warned to stop. Don't go forward. But wait a minute. Okay, if it's not safe to go that way, I need a do. Which way should I go? Hear what I'm saying? You need something positive, not just something negative. Okay? So here's the positive the Lord gave him now, 40 years later, to give Moses an answer. Why did they fail the first time when God wanted to give them the promised land? But you know the story, don't you? You know how the 12 spies went and 10 came back and said, yeah, it's a great land, but there's giants and this and that, you know. And got all the people stirred up and screaming and crying and, and discouraged and talking about stoning Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb who were talking, come on, let's trust God and go forward. And they wouldn't do it. And God said, okay, here's my judgment. For all of your unbelief, you get to wander a year in the wilderness for the next 40 years. Instead of going and enjoying the promised land that I intended to give you. Instead, it will become the inheritance of your children and grandchildren. They will receive what you are rejecting. Moses had been asking the Lord, Lord, what went wrong? Why did we have such failure there? Why didn't the people say, yes, we can do this? And here's the thing the Lord told him to command the people from hereafter. Folks, how often does the Sabbath happen? This is not a trick question. Once a week. Hello, did you hear that? Once a week. All right, so once a week, what's God telling them? There's something positive I want you to do. And you need to do this at least once a week. What is it? Well, let me read here again verse 15. And you shall remember. Now, let me stop there for a moment. Have you ever heard the two signs of old age? The two signs of old age are forgetfulness and uh, uh, I can't remember. Let me ask you something. Is forgetfulness simply uh, a trait of the senior citizens? When you went to first grade, how old were you? Six or seven years old. And the teacher asked you to turn in your homework. Did anybody come unprepared to turn in your homework? And what did you tell the teacher when she said, where is your homework? What did you say? I, I'm, I forgot. I left it at home. Folks, forgetfulness is not just a trait of the elderly. Okay, everybody can be forgetful. And the people who followed Moses out of Egypt were not all senior citizens. Some of them were. But he had people in their 60s and their 50s and their 40s, their 30s. You know what? I want to check out the DVD when I get to heaven about the last night they spent in Egypt. You know why? You know what I think will be real interesting? I'm guessing there might have been one Hebrew lady, great with child, going through labor, and she may have birthed the last Hebrew who was born in captivity. You hear what I'm saying? And then the next day, they're all out. They all come out. All ages of people followed Moses. It wasn't just a bunch of old folks who couldn't remember. 
And God is saying to his people, there's something I want you to do, and I want you to do it once a week. That's how often the Sabbath happens, right? Okay, what is it? He wants you to remember something. That you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Now, let me, uh, let me play a little word game with you. Uh, I'm going to look for your reactions, okay? And I'm gonna, I hope I'm going to get some positive reactions. If so, if you're not wearing a mask, I'll see your smile. And if you are wearing a mask, you can nod your head or whatever, you know. You can raise your hand or something. All right. Um, blueberry ice cream. Do you, you know what I do? I, when I have a homemade ice cream maker, I make homemade blueberry ice cream. How do you like that one? Isn't that good? Okay, so anybody smiling about that? Anybody starting to think, are they going to go look for Brahms when they get out of here? All right. All right, let's, uh, let's pick another one. How about uh, Spring Creek Barbecue? Now, if I keep, keep this up, you're not even going to last the service. You know, everyone's going to head for the door. Okay, yeah. Have you ever noticed that your nose will tell you half a block before you reach a barbecue restaurant that you're close by? Yeah, and they're like, where, where is it? i got to find you because that aroma is just, oh, that's wonderful. Right? So you like that one too. Okay. Let me try another one. How about if I say a cool tax-free $1 million to you? Would that bring a smile to your face? Anybody smiling or laughing about it? Does that sound good? Tax-free. Isn't that nice? Wow. Okay. So those are pretty positive concepts. You're giving me positive responses. Now, let me, let me drop one more in your life. Ready? Okay. Slavery. Oh, nobody wants to volunteer for slavery? That's not a nice thing, is it? The whole prospect of somebody capturing you, putting you in manacles, Forcing you into submission that you have to now obey this person because he says, I am the master and you are my slave. Anybody like the sound of that? You don't like that, do you? You like the opposite? You like freedom? You do. Okay. The Lord said, you are to remember something once a week that you were a slave. Now. If you had to say your name and the word slave in the same sentence, I'm going to give you three choices. Which one would you like your, to be your selection? You're going to say, I am a slave now. Who wants to say I am a slave? Do you like that? Okay, my second choice, future tense. In the future, I will be a slave. Anybody want to volunteer next week, next month to become a slave? No, I didn't think so. Third choice, past tense. I was a slave. Who would like to choose that one? Me. If I ever had to be a slave, I'd sure prefer to be past tense, meaning no longer. I was, but no longer. Amen? Okay. How many of you have ever experienced slavery? I'm looking for a hand raised. I don't see. Now, Pastor Scott, can I ask you, is your flock honest? Nobody raised their hand. Let, let me try this one more time. John 8.34 is a verse that Jesus was speaking. You know what he said? All those who commit sin are the slaves of sin. Now may I ask the question again. How many of you have ever experienced slavery? Uh, there we go. Now, you see, they are honest. How about that? All right. 
Folks, everybody has an Egypt in which we were enslaved. Everyone. We have all been in Egypt. We have all sinned. And we have been slaves of sin. And we're supposed to remember something once a week. Formerly, in the past, I used to be a slave. But hallelujah. Thanks to who? Thanks to Jesus. I'm not a slave anymore. Neither are you. You've been set free, right? All right, I get this. How did he work that out? And the Lord your God brought you out of there, where? Out of the place of slavery. By what? By a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Now, if you read Scripture, and I mean all of Scripture, as thoroughly and as frequently as I do, you're going to notice something. This phrase comes up a lot. God reminds them again and again and again and again across hundreds of years of Bible history. Hey guys, do you remember what I did for you? I used a strong hand and an outstretched arm to go into Egypt and to get you set free. Um, It's always singular. I mean, how many hands do you have? That's not a trick question, okay? You have two How many arms do you have? Two. Two, okay. So when you do most tasks, aren't you kind of involved with using both your hands and both your arms? Here's God saying, I don't even have to use both hands. God's got two hands. God's got two arms. I mean, you're made in his image and likeness, right? You are expecting to see Jesus one day. Don't you think he's going to have two arms and two hands? Yes? All right. But he says, when I went into Egypt to set you guys free, you know, have you ever heard of two people taunting each other before there's going to be a fight, a fist fight, you know? And one of them says, man, I'm going to mess you up so bad, and I'm so good at this, I don't even need both hands. I'll put one hand behind my back. God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go into Egypt. I'm going to take on, you know what he did? He didn't just take on the Egyptian people or government. Scripture says he took on their gods, G-O-D-S, small g, okay? God took on the gods of Egypt. And to prove to you something about how fantastically mighty and powerful our God is, he didn't even have to use both hands and both arms, okay? He just used one, bam, 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 bam. Our God has so much power in the tip of his little finger, you cannot imagine. You need to dwell on that, okay? Our God is powerful. He can do all things. And that will give you some encouragement. Well, it says he brought them out with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. But can I ask you? When they got out and got past the Red Sea and the Egyptians are drowned behind them... And they know there's no chance of being dragged back to Egypt and forced into slavery again. How long did they celebrate the Lord and Moses? How long? Was it three years? No. Was it three months? No. Was it three weeks? No. Three days. Hey, Moses, we believe in you. Ooh, Lord, we believe in you. Yeah, three days. And then after that, they couldn't find water during. Nah, let's sack Moses and go back to Egypt. Three days. Folks, 
Every day those Hebrews woke up, don't you think they should have said, Dear God in heaven, thank you so much for sending Moses to us. Don't you think they should have been grateful? Wouldn't it be reasonable to be grateful? Were they? Majority of them, most of the time, they found reason to fault find, to grumble, to complain, to rebel, to plot and plan against the very man God had worked through to get them that kind of freedom. Folks, what I'm telling you is this. The kind of salvation they got was a political salvation. It didn't change their hearts. Hmm? They proved it constantly that it didn't change their hearts. And when Moses had been asking the Lord, why did they fail the first time? When you were so ready, Lord, to give them the benefit and blessing of the promised land, but they grumbled, they complained, they rejected, they, they fought back against the Lord. Why? It's because they so quickly forgot what the Lord had just done for them. You hear what I'm saying? You see, if you think I'm wasting my time today, like, wait a minute, you've come over here and you're giving this message and you're basically saying our takeaway point is to remember. That sounds kind of weak. That sounds kind of pitiful. That sounds like, you're kidding. That's it? That's the main point today? Let me tell you something. When you have a Jericho in front of you. The only reason you have Jericho in front of you is because you have Egypt behind you. Did you catch that? You know what I mean by that? If you don't have an Egypt behind me, then guess what? You're never going to face a Jericho. But if God has proven he can get you out of Egypt, then that means every new challenge, every new problem, every new temptation, everything, even all the demons combined coming against you, guess what? But you've got the living God on your side. A person like me, I've had a lot of relocations in my life, you know, where you've got to pack up and move. And not all of them have been stateside. I've moved internationally. Have you ever made my mistake? Thankfully, I don't make this anymore, but in the early days. mm. You see, some of us, after you've gone through college and if you've gone to seminary as well, you know, we're collectors of books. I mean, we get books. And, you know, my dad, being a pastor, you know, one of the things he would get from each church he was serving, he had a library allowance, a book allowance, right? John, you probably had that too, didn't you, you know? So wherever you're serving, you know, you got so much money. It's like, you look, you can't take it and put it in your pocket. You have to spend it on books, right? So whatever your allowance is, you've kind of got this incentive that you've got to constantly be, you know, looking through catalogs and whatever and finding, you know, new books. And so after a while, you know, pastors, we, we get quite the collection of books. And then you've got to relocate one day. Now here's my mistake. Maybe you've done it too. You've got to get a collection of boxes. And so that's what I've done. Go get a collection of boxes. You've got to pack up a bunch of stuff, right? You've got small boxes, medium-sized, bigger boxes, you know. 
And so I'm looking at my stash of boxes I've gotten from the grocery store. Or, or Have you ever noticed you get great boxes from the liquor stores? Great. Man, we really protect our alcohol. I mean, you know, so I've gone to the liquor stores and boy, I come back and people look at my stash of stack and all the advertising like, Douglas, what have you been drinking here lately? You know. So I get these boxes and you know what? I grabbed a big box and I went over to my personal library on the shelves facing me books are of various sizes aren't they some skinnier some fatter some tall some shorter you know it's like a jigsaw puzzle and so you sit there on the floor next to your big box Uh uh-oh here's the problem and you're getting these books off the shelf and you're fitting them away. Now you're trying to get, use up every square inch you can, you know, and get, and you get it to the top. I mean, it's been quite a work. It wasn't easy. You got it full and you fold it all in, you know, and now it's time to get this thing out on the truck. And you're about to get a revelation because you lean over and you get your hands under the bottom edge and then you go, Oh, uh oh. You suddenly realize what you should not have done. When you're going to load up books, you select a small box, not a big box. See, book by book, you don't seem to realize how much weight you're putting together. See? So you, you fooled yourself. You're, you're so, you were congratulating yourself. You put this puzzle together. You got this big box full of books and now you can't lift it off the floor. You're faced with two choices. You either gotta unload the box by half and then restuff the upper half with pillows. Or, or, you put on your thinking cap. Okay, I can't lift this box. But now who do I know? That has got, you know, muscles out to here, you know. And you think of something. Oh, Big John. Yeah, Big John. You go to John. John, hey. Oh, he's a big friend there. I mean, he's got muscles. You know. John, could you come over to my house? I got this problem. I got a box I've loaded. And I can't get it off the floor. And it's got to get on the truck. Could you put that box? Sure, John said. No problem. And John is so strong. He gets to my house. Guess what he does? He doesn't even use both hands. He picks that box up. Puts it under, and he's, okay, what can I carry out with this hand? I mean, John is strong. Got it? Folks, if John just proved to me that he could lift my biggest, heaviest, most awkward box and carry it out and put it on the truck, then should I have any doubt that when John volunteers to help me with all the other boxes which are smaller, do you think John can lift them too? Hello. You hear what I'm saying? Okay, so let me ask you. I'm going to have a series of questions here. You got a few bills to pay? I mean, right now, you got some bills to pay? You got some debts that aren't paid off yet? Or am I the only one? And and that kind of weighs on your mind sometimes, doesn't it? You're staring at those bills and you're wondering, how long is this going to take? And Wait a minute, my dad talked about playing the game of pay off and put off. You ever do pay off and put off? You pay off something and you put off other things, you know? He also told me about dollar now, dollar when you catch me, you know, kind of a thing, you know. 
So you play these games with your money, trying to make it go as far as possible, pay your bills, you know. Man, money, money matters when you stare at it. It's like Peter staring at the waves. You know, you were walking on the water as long as you kept your eyes on Jesus. But you take your eyes off Jesus, you stare at the waves, guess what happens? And it can overwhelm you. Money matters can overwhelm you. Debts and problems and bills to pay that you don't know how and when you're going to get out from under those things. But I want you to know something. That is your 20-pound box. If the Lord can get you saved, which he did, if he can get you out of your Egypt, out of your slavery to sin, which he did, then what's that going to do to your heart when you think about getting victory over the bills, over the debts? Hello? You hear what I'm saying? Okay, so, you know, money matters, that, that's a problem. Well, has anybody got a problem with a child? Or in some people's cases, a problem with a parent. You know, now relationships, they're not like money matters. I mean, you know, these people, people can be stubborn. Hello? You know, and it's, you don't know how you're going to get victory in these matters. You know what, that, well, that's, that's what you call a, let's call that a 50-pound box. Yeah, that's more serious than money matters. It really breaks your heart, all the stress it could put you under. Hey, let's, let's up the ante one more. But please, don't look at your spouse right now, okay? Marital problems. Aye, aye, aye. Now, when those things come knocking, and they don't go away very easy, and they hang on for a long time, you know, and you try this, and you try that, and you pray, and you wait, and you just... Yeah, that's probably a 70-pound box. That's, that's even more difficult. But if I once a week will stop and remember, what did it take for the Lord to get me saved? This is something you've got. I hope you'll reach this conclusion today with me. Your biggest problem ever. If you live to be a hundred or longer, your biggest problem while on earth was what? Your sin. And God already solved that for you. Hello? So if he has solved your biggest problem, what is that supposed to do for your, your mind, your confidence in the Lord as you face any and all other challenges and problems? Would you like more victory? That's not a trick question either. You can go ahead and say yes. Yes? Let's try that again. Would you like more victory? There we go. Okay. Then what's the source? Oh, just spend some time. How much time? I don't know. Just spend some time. How often? Oh, about once a week. Thinking about what? Remembering what Jesus did for you to get you saved. You hear me? See, we have downplayed, we have undervalued salvation. We have thought, oh, that was a little thing or a minor thing or it's something just happened in my life a long time ago. But man, what I'm faced with now, 
See, if you're not careful, you and I can imitate those Hebrews who followed Moses out of Egypt. But Jesus went and got a salvation for us better than the salvation they got. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you look at me like, huh? What was the phrase? A mighty hand and an outstretched arm. When Jesus wanted to give you a better salvation, one that reaches all the way to your heart, and you are changed at the deepest level, how did Jesus do it? See, if I do this, see this? This is one hand and a fist and one arm. And if I raise it like this, that's like a, a symbol of brute force power. Right? People do this all the time. But Jesus wanted to get you and me a better salvation. He couldn't do it with one hand. And one outstretched arm. So what did he do? It is finished! That's what Jesus did for you. Don't undervalue that. Don't underestimate it. Your sin was your biggest box. He's already taken care of it for you. And that's why the people who followed Joshua experienced far more victories than those who followed Moses. Because the ones who followed Moses quickly forgot. They just forgot. They didn't dwell on, gee, remember what the Lord did for us in Egypt? If he could get us out of Egypt, surely he can get us into the promised land. That's what Joshua and Caleb said to the people. They remembered. And they were blessed to get to go in. Even if it meant they had to endure that 40 years in the wilderness. They did. And it says one day when Caleb was 85, and they'd been fighting for five years conquering the land. It says, now today's my birthday. I like this part. I mean, the older I get, I like stories like this. He said, today's my birthday. I'm 85 today. And you know what? My body, my health, my strength, my breath... Just as strong today as when you and I, Joshua, were 40 years old and we were the part of the gang of 12 spies going in. How would you like to be able to say when you're 85, I'm just as spry now as I was when I was 40? Does that sound good to you? You like the sound of that? I like the sound of that. I'm 66 now. Come on, folks. The older I get, the more I like stories like this. And I want to lean on stuff like that. I'm going to keep looking to the Lord because you know what? I've got a better salvation than the kind they got. Theirs was a political one. I've got a spiritual salvation. A real change of heart. 
because of what Jesus did for me. Now, if I just dwell on that once a week, just dwell on it. Then take another look at your unpaid bills and debts. And what will you say to yourself? Yeah, it's a problem. But my Lord can handle it. And then you look at that problem with your parents or your children. You say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty serious also. But my Lord can handle that too. And then you look at whatever's going on in your marriage or some other kind of problem. I'm not saying you ignore it. I'm not saying you pretend it's not there. You know it's there. It's real. But it's not as big as your sin problem. And the Lord already took care of that for you. This is the path to more victories. The way to have more victories in the future is to spend some time, about once a week, thinking about what Jesus has already done for you in the past. He solved your sin problem. You're saved. Hallelujah. That means he can handle all the rest. Right? Come on, say right. 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 He can handle all the rest. Everything else that comes up. For the Lord, it's a piece of cake. Piece of pie. Dear Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for giving Moses an answer to that nagging question. It must have perplexed him for a long time. You showed him what went wrong the first time. The people quickly forgot what you had proven about yourself in Egypt. So they were completely unprepared to go forward into more victories in the promised land. And today, Lord, you're telling us just once a week spend some time dwelling on the salvation Jesus won for us at Calvary. And our hearts will be fortified and we will be confident that whatever else comes up and challenges us, giants, big cities, demands, whatever. You are more than capable in us and through us to handle it because you've already taken care of our biggest problem. Thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. The greatest thing in my life is knowing Christ. Will you stand and sing with me? Two stanzas. Oh
Doug, I, I think what we ought to do next Sunday, let's meet again, same place, same time, and remember what the Lord has done for us. Uh, I was great. Thank you, Doug. A great message. Good to remember. Uh, if you'd like to speak with someone after the service, I'll be right up front, and so will our elders, and be glad to talk with you about any need you might have. It's a blessing to be here. Let's have a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful to remember what Christ has done for us, pouring out his blood for our salvation. May we never forget that. And remember that if he can tackle that, he can tackle anything. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So freely shed for